This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am here with our clients Q&A. We actually um, had kind of a fun little format for this one, and we'll talk about that here a little bit more in a second. Once again, are my trusty cohorts, Carolyn Mele. Carolyn's been with us forever, one of the main coaches here at Eat Perform. And then we have Becky Avara. Becky is the, the director of coaching here at Eat Perform. And so she pretty much rules the roost um, for all the things that matter. Um, and then I run the circus. I'm Paul Nobles, uh, you know, I'm the founder of Eat Reform. And uh, we just had a big anniversary where we have been around for 10 years. You know, I've been trying to kind of leak out some of the story for the people that, that don't know. But well, what was I think is kind of one of the more interesting parts of Eat Perform was that uh, by the time I came up with the idea of Eat Perform, I was sort of done dieting and really didn't diet for like five years um, after that. You know, it was interesting because very early on, we would constantly be asked about whether or not you would ever have to diet again. And from a scientific standpoint, you know, you certainly, you know, can get away without having to diet. But I think the way that we teach it, um, we sort of, that's one of the positions that we've sort of reversed over the 10 years, because I feel like what was happening is when we would talk to people about that, they would um, kind of unconsciously undereat, right? Um, also, I'm just noticing that uh, we are in my wife's office, which doubles as a bunk bed, um, which is in behind me if you're watching on YouTube. And I didn't realize that uh, we actually, oh, one of my friends came from Minnesota and his son stayed in here. So the, so the bed's not made. Um, but uh, for some people, that might be distracting. But I think what would happen in the scenario where you would not diet you know at all forever you would either work out too much or you would under eat too much and so we sort of changed our position on this because it really you know there is this belief that there needs to be at least a little bit of weight regain i mean the the thing that it was interesting i was watching um i think the guy's named ethan suppley and he's a, a celebrity and he was like 550 pounds. He was in the member the Titans. And um, what was interesting about his story was he detailed how many times he lost a hundred pounds, right? Even up to 200 pounds. And he talked about how at his lowest, he got down to, to 200, but that felt really small for his body frame. And I thought to myself, if most people knew what this guy was talking about. Now, his swings were probably a little, you know, much. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily recommend, you know, gaining and losing 100 pounds, but, but he lost like 150 and then he would gain back 100. And, you know, I don't know that it needed to be those extremes, but my guess is he's sort of coming from that mindset of the deficit is the thing, right? When in reality, if you lost 150 pounds, gaining back 50 pounds is actually probably pretty smart. It's probably going to keep your metabolism going, um, things of this nature. And I think what happens, especially as someone who lost over 100 pounds, you know, one thing I've always been real honest about is that you have to allow for some weight gain to come back. Now, what you sort of run into is the problem, and, and this is... This is the majority, the majority of our clients, if, if we're all being real here, you know, are already pretty healthy, right? Um, they're active in their lifestyle. They have good habits. There's just like a missing piece. And that missing piece is typically that they aren't allowing themselves to eat enough. And um, so it was just interesting listening to this guy's story because so many people never are able to do what he did right and one of the reasons why they aren't able to do what he did um and this was sort of my story as i started dieting was 
you know, I would lose 50 pounds and then I would gain back 60. And then I would lose 60 pounds and gain back 75, right? So kind of what he did was sort of brilliant, right? I doubt he views it that way. I doubt he looks at it as something that was positive. But I don't actually, after doing this for 10 years, I don't believe there's any other way to be truthfully. Um, I just feel like, you know, if you're trying to stay weight stable all the time, you're never going to get a full expression of what your metabolism, and that's the enduring message of what, you know, we teach here at Eat to Perform. And the reality is, is that the majority of us aren't looking for eight pack abs, right? We're looking for a healthy lifestyle that we can maintain that allows for food most of the time, you know, wine occasionally, alcohol occasionally, um, and then just managing that all in the process. Doesn't mean that we don't have super fit people, but, you know, I love it when people see some of our super fit examples and they go, yeah, but she works out all the time. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> right? Like that. that is, and we all know that, right? I mean, that's not like a secret. I mean, at my most fit, you know, I was working out up to three times a day, you know, but you don't, you can't maintain, like when I look at Stephanie or Sarah or some of the super fit people, um, oh shoot, who I'm spacing, um, uh, Becky, help me, the, our, our obstacle course, Jillian, so Jillian, right, she's, she's, you know, a committed exerciser, she's also young, she's got more free time, things of this nature, but when you look at Sarah and Stephanie, I think they would both admit to you that they just have something in their head that is quieted by that amount of time each day. And I think that anyone that, you know, is that committed to fitness actually does relate to the messages they put out there, right? And I think that's the the majority of us. You know, I honestly, you know, while I'm not like super abbed up or anything like that, I, I would say I'm pretty committed to fitness. I mean, you know, I work out five to six days a week. You know, it's not necessarily the workouts that I might have done 10 years ago, right? But when I look at people that need to lose drastic amounts of weight, things of this nature, um, what I'm often reminded of is just how you just need to make activity a priority in your life. And not necessarily from the standpoint of weight loss, but certainly from the standpoint of keeping weight off long-term, you know? Um, I've been here in California for two months, um, been weight stable the whole time, pretty much, you know, other than some body weight, you know, work maybe two, three times a week, I'm just playing pickleball, you know, but I'm playing pickleball most days for two to three hours, you know, a lot of resting. It's not like it is at home, um, but, you know, if we're all being honest, right? Like it, it does allow me to eat more freely. You know, it does allow me to eat more calories, you know? And, um, but it's not like a solution for weight loss per se, right? Um, the other thing, and then, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody understands because I know that this is um, kind of <laughs> the group that is just regular clients. Um, <laughs> was Crystal just showing the baby? My that son was. <laughs> okay. I but said yeah, we had, only we had, he sees that. <laughs> we, we had a baby uh, make a cameo there. Um, but uh, we did start Eat to Perform Health. Um, right now, we're rolling it out to life lifers. I'm going to be honest with you. We're probably going to keep it to lifers. Um I might change my mind on that, but as most people are aware, our memberships are month to month. When someone decides to join Eat to Form Health, which just basically allows you to do um, your blood work to see if you're hormone deficient or you need some kind of medical help, um, we don't really have any attachment to like the medical side of things. We're really more on the 
the um, coaching, the consultation, and then the blood work side. But I know that there's a lot of people out there that think they have hormone issues that would like to know. This is a way to know it. Unfortunately, it is only available to U.S. Like I said, right now, it's only available to, to lifers. And the reason why it's only available to lifers is because, you know, you're not going to solve hormone issues, right? Um, or or really any other medications in a very short time. Like even in this instance, you would have the option to do, you know, something with a GLP-1 agonist and, and along with like a fat loss cycle. That is not a month-to-month thing. You you have to do that for at least two to three months because you're going to have to dial in dose. So that's why we're holding it out. We'd like to hold it out as long as possible. Um, and so, and we, and we do make lifetime uh, available. We may end up offering longer type uh, memberships. It, it just depends on the demand, but right now the demand is very high for lifers, right? So um, that's something that we're really excited about. All 10 years, I knew that was a hole in my game, right? Um, where, you know, so many people, when they get to a certain point, um, you know, it, it comes down to hormones or comes down to how difficult it is to stay in a fat loss cycle, right? And so to be able to address those two things, I think is something that I'm really excited about. But in in reality, we're going to be having real conversations with people. Like, for instance, in the case of of HRT, if we're um, doing a custom program for you, it would be a gigantic mistake to go on a cut, right? Because the whole point of, of kind of fixing hormones and things of that nature is you want food in abundance at least for the first three to six months. Because... Whenever you're not feeding your body appropriately, that's the thing that caused the hormone deficiencies in a lot of cases for most people, along with age, along with menopause, along with andropause, there's a lot of things going, but if you're trying to fix the problem, right, you want hormones while fed, right? So um, if you're thinking about that, or have you seen it come across, you know, kind of keep that in mind, uh, and so let's get into, we haven't had anyone bring up a question at this point, but we do have a number of questions already dialed up. And so, uh, Carolyn, why don't you hit me with the first one? Okay, so um, it looks like Terry is asking if you have under eaten all your life and have been told that you lost muscle, is it possible to ever get the muscle back or is it gone forever? So that's an interesting question, piggybacking off of the HRT question, right? Because if you're under eating, so there was, there was an interesting scenario, this was many years back, um, where we had someone body test, oh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, tested one. And it was a guy, and he was close to zero on free testosterone. And we were like, what the heck? You know, very common for women, not so common for men. Um, and eventually, you know, we found out that, you know, you know he kind of fessed up that um, he was been abusing alcohol for quite some time. And... I don't know that most guys or, or women, you know, know that like the detrimental effects of, of what was probably chronic use and not moderate use on testosterone. So certainly if you don't have any testosterone, it's going to be hard to rebuild muscle. Okay. So here's an interesting thing about lean tissue. So we used to be really big into body fat testing, not as much lately, not against it necessarily, but just it often adds another layer that can be confusing for people that's not necessary, right? 
And so we probably started recommending it a little bit less and less. Um, I still am a strong believer in it. I think it, if you can view it as data, it's great data. But what we would see consistently is if someone hadn't spent a lot of time training, started to eat the right amount of food, things of this nature, they might not lose weight per se, right? Because um, like, like I think most people on this call know this. Um, and, and the reality is I'm not going to go and explain to people that honestly, you know, the only people that listen to this podcast are clients, right? And so you all know what PR is, right? Um, so I can explain for 10 minutes what PR is and why, but you all know that that's the period where you're not dieting. And so in the period where you're not dieting, if you started off in that way, it was very common for those people to stay weight stable, maybe gain three to five pounds, but add like six to nine pounds of muscle in like six months. It was unreal. And we see that a lot, you know, in the group where people are seeing recomp, and, but their their weight's the same. And they're like, thank you, ETP, right? Um, but did they gain lean tissue or did they rehydrate an unhydrated muscle? And I think the answer is they hydrated an unhydrated muscle in the majority of the time, right? Now, of course, if you're addressing, you know, a deficiency in calories, you're going to be addressing a deficiency in energy. So people going from working out at roughly 50% to roughly 80%, you know, everything's going to be favorable to putting tissue on. But I would say the mean age of a client for Ethan form is probably 48. Um, and they're usually a woman. That age does not have a lot of testosterone, right? So that would certainly point to the fact that they did not build lean tissue, right? That they just rehydrated tissue that they already had. So this is the case, you know, and, and once again, like I think one of the, the things that we've tried to put out there related to Ediform Health. And the good majority of the time we're talking about it on podcast. And the reason why we're talking about it on podcast is because our words can't be misinterpreted, right? Because I think what happens is, is when people read it and then they see like, you know, a million different comments, right? It's better to just have kind of that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, the people signing up today are actually talking to a coach for like a half an hour. So they know everything, every possible question they could possibly have is getting answered on that. And so one of the things that Sarah would talk about, Sarah Carlson, not Sarah Hoffman, um, would be the fact that when you get the information, it does not necessarily mean you need to act, right? What it means is you now have knowledge, right? And so uh, at, I want to say I was 41, and I knew that my um, testosterone levels were on the lowish side, right? And I spent, I want to say like seven years before I did anything about it, because I wanted to see if maybe a better approach with more food, less dieting, um, more bodybuilding, could I move things in a positive direction? And weirdly, I did. Um, my my numbers were slightly higher than they were seven years before that, but it was still in the low range, right? And so that's when I ultimately went on um, testosterone replacement. For women, it's usually, you know, a combination of a number of things, right? Men... <laughs> It, you know, typically testosterone is going to be kind of the big thing. Um, I take HCG, and the reason why I take HCG for men is because it, um, it uh, when you take testosterone, your testicle size um, shrinks. And so the HCG um, kind of keeps it relative normal. So um, if you ever did decide to get off of it, 
um, you would basically go back to where you were or maybe slightly worse, but not down to zero. That's the argument for HCG. I'm just trying to think of if there's anything. Um, I am looking at doing BPC 157 to try and help with um, some uh, injuries that will have a positive effect on muscle healing from a peptide standpoint. Basically, uh, when you're breaking down muscle, your your the more amino acids that you have that are favorable like testosterone and 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 certain peptides like BPC one five seven can have a healing effect. Not necessarily like a these are not steroids, right? They're not like huge volumes that are trying to push things to super anabolic. Anyone, you know, I'm not saying I'm not not a muscular guy, but I'm certainly not one of these two hundred fifty pound guys that you know, can't scratch the back, right? Because um, it's just guilt. Um, and so um, the other, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, other, the other thing that I'm more curious about than really anything um, are just all of the EPIFORM clients that are simultaneously using um, one of the GLP-1 agonists, right? And um using them cyclically so that um their metabolism can come back um that's one thing because it doesn't seem like i'm addressing the question but i definitely am one of the biggest concerns that i have with all these weight loss medications is people are acting like there's no consequences and they go okay well the side effects are nausea constipation okay i can deal with that right so like, no 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 there's other side effects right? Like, like we, science is very clear that the more you diet, the worse you get at dieting. And I, I wrote this in an article, you know, not everyone reads this stuff. So, so I don't know what people have seen or, or who haven't, but, you know, in general, there's certain things that, that, that go viral and a lot of things that are a little bit longer and a little bit more evolved, they don't, right? Um, but in the article, I said that if I was to tell you that uh, a child of yours that needed to lose 15% of body fat based on whatever criteria that maybe a doctor would have or something of this nature, but they're going to have to eat 800 to 1,000 calories for the rest of their life, I mean, I wouldn't be in business within weeks, right? Yet that's exactly what is happening. And what I think is most interesting about this is that we're sort of basing this off of um, kind of the studies that are needed to become approved for FDA, not necessarily the studies that come down the line, right? But what I can tell you right now is that the people that are using it cyclically will not see the metabolic damage that the people that are eating 800 to 1,000. Right. And because most of us know if you're eating 800 to 1000 calories, that's an eating disorder. Right. Um, and and you need to work to recover from that um, in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think that, you know, most people view it that way. They view it like, oh, well, 800 to 1000 calories. That's what I need to like the, the question was being asked, you know, under eating um it's common for people to eat a thousand calories right and then there's all this noise related to eating mostly whole foods things of this nature and then what happens for a lot of people like that is they'll have one moment where they eat 1400 calories and then their weight is up because of course it is right and they have like all these guilt emotions and things of this nature. This is why I really struggle with this idea of it just being a genetic problem, right? Because certainly there is a focus on genetics, but when, like I always look at my wife and her grandmother, right? So her grandmother was probably 180 pounds. So, so genetically, if my wife were to try and chase 120, she's more likely to go to 220 than she is to 120, right? And so most people don't think of it like that. There's 
there's consequences to dieting. And so if you're trying to gain lean mass after under eating for quite some time, you can rehydrate, that is helpful. But if you want to be a little bit more proactive, this is sort of the bigger mission with the Eat Perform Health, is that this is proactive solutions that keep you away from cholesterol medications and, and all of these different things that you're gonna become more susceptible to when you're trying to manage your weight with mostly dieting rather than trying to be more, do more, and eat more along the way. Obviously, there's advantages to a flexible lifestyle, but with the real mission of what we started to do, like most people don't know this, but since day one, Eat to Perform was about longevity of life, right? That's it. You know, I was seeing my family all die in their late 50s, early 60s, right? And you know, there was a pattern. Well, I mean, were they living? <laughs> you know, um, I mean, my grandmother, I never knew not to be, you know, sedentary, right? She, she had an injury through work. Um, she kind of loosely followed Weight Watchers for many years. And I, I don't think she, I don't think I ever saw her eat a thousand calories in a day unless you know, we went to like a McDonald's or something like that, which was very rare. And then, of course, you know, she she sort of overdid it because, you know, she, her body would actually like to have calories. Um, but the bigger mission of Eat to Perform, I wouldn't say that I necessarily knew. I mean, I was aware of steroids. I was not aware of hormone replacement the way it exists right now. And so I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to evolve to be able to include that type of thing and to have those conversations with people. The fact that I'm having conversations about weight loss medications, there's really no other diet program doing that, right? Because um, they're going to be selling you on the fact that their diet is so superior. It's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it does come down to calories, right? And it's not just calories lower, it's calories higher. And so to, to summarize what all of what I just said is that for the person that was under eating, I would definitely take a period where you normalize calories, right? And then once you've normalized calories and you have a blood work baseline, you know, from before you normalize calories, compare it to the after, and then see if things have improved. And if they haven't improved, then you can start to explore whether or not you want to um, go down the, the the rabbit hole of HRT. I mean, just being real with everybody. You know, there are things that in that process, there are things that will make you feel better immediately. And then there's things like, I don't know if this is actually working, right? Um, and you have to kind of change things as you go. Like in my example, I, I, I donate blood every four months as part of my treatment, right? Um, and I do double reds and uh, otherwise I deal with like blood thickening from the testosterone. And so you have to kind of know that as you start to use these proactive medications, that it's not just you take the medications and you're better. The best benefit, I'll say, uh, you know, this is my biggest belief with any kind of hormone treatment is that the best thing you will get from it is that you will see a doctor more. That's the best by far, right? I can't tell you how many proactive things I've been able to add to my life by just seeing my doctor more. And they will not prescribe you medication without those visits, right? So you have to have um, that level of communication. So, so that's the answer um, is try eating more first, at least give it a year or two to see if your numbers improve. And then you start to ask yourself, one, can I afford you know, uh, hormone treatment? Uh, it's usually not covered by insurance, right? 
um, and um, you know, even even like weight loss medication, things of that nature. There's just so so much bureaucracy related to that kind of stuff. And then you know, um, if you want to use like the brand names and stuff like this, it can get really expensive. You know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really the only answers. Um, but it is, it is, I just want to say, it is a legit answer to go, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do anything, but that doesn't mean that I can't be my fittest self without all this other stuff, right? Um, because I think that that's, you know, a very realistic way of thinking about aging, right? Is, is, there's too many of us trying to fight it too hard. And the reality is, is that sometimes it's better to just cave, right? And just go, you know, screw it. You know, I'm 50 years old for, for doggone sake. And I'm just gonna move past this, these limiting thoughts. We did, okay. I did see a question in the chat. We could have- I, I don't have one. Was it addressed to you? Oh, possibly. Um, yeah, it was a. Yeah, it, it it was addressed to me. So I don't know if she's trying to do it privately. Um, if you were trying to be private, if you could send it to Becky, that would be better than sending it to me because, as I'm doing the podcast, it's really this actually does show up on like Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. So I can't like read through things or you know know whether or not whether whether or not I should have been able to communicate with it or not. Okay. Um Allison is asking intermittent fasting with strength training for fat loss and muscle growth. Does it work? If so, how? No. <laughs> um that's it. That's the answer. The answer is no. Right. Look intermittent fasting is a way this is this is this is the part that drives me crazy because i'm an advocate for intermittent fasting i think it's helpful there it's a tool that you can use to manage your weight right but if you're saying i want to be in a surplus and also intermittent fast that's going to be really hard to do you know, um, what everybody wants is nirvana, where you're able to eat in the deficit and gain muscle. You can't, right? You 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 always have to add qualifiers to this type of stuff because if you're an untrained person, you could maybe see three to four pounds of muscle go positive. Or like if somebody was eating sixty grams of protein and you move them to to 120 grams of protein, yes, they might be able to put on a, lean, a little bit of lean milk, but they're not really addressing the actual problem. And so, so you, you, you the, the, the sad part about the way that nutrition works is that I can actually be an advocate for something and then also be viewed as like the enemy just because I'm telling the truth, right? Um, the truth is, if you're trying to eat enough to stimulate muscle growth, you know, one, you probably want to space out your protein, right? So as an example, this is a great example. I saw this one time uh, and it was talking about someone trying to get in, you know, um, 120 grams of protein or 150 or whatever it is for you um, in a four hour window, right? And so, so we, we know from a scientific standpoint that the body processes it better 30 grams at a time, right? So in theory, you should be able to take, so if you're 120, you'd want to take it four times a day, you know? Um, it, can you do it a different way? Sure. Is that optimal? Probably not, right? But once again, we, we're kind of having this discussion of, are we trying to be stage ready? Or are we just trying to be a mom, a lawyer, a doctor, a, you know, a teacher, you know what I mean? A gym goer, a, a, a trainer, you know, if you have all these other things, 
you know, maybe being the most optimal all the time. But what we do know for sure is that your body will not, from a bioavailability standpoint, process 120 grams of protein in a period of four hours, right? It needs to be spread out more than that. And so if you're trying to gain muscle, you want to do it best. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that once again, you know, I don't have any negatives. There's a low carb component to eat to perform. It's our low days, right? But, you know, people will take issues to that, to that because it's not under 30 grams or whatever. It's like, guys, we're, this is nonsense. At the end of the day, it really comes down to eating in a, eating an appropriate amount, maybe a little bit of a surplus most of the time. That's why the days undulate if you're an eating performer. Um, you'll have days where they're a little bit higher, days where they're a little bit lower. So we're kind of cleaning things up throughout the week. You're going to push more of your energy um, because you have more calories most of the time. And then you have those two days a week that kind of suck, right? Um, and what happens is, is people get caught up into all the little details of EF or of IF or all the little details of keto. And it's like none of those details matter near as much as calorie surplus, calorie deficit, right? And you want to be in a calorie surplus or, or at least, you know, I hate the word maintenance with a passion. If you've been around each perform for 10 years, you know this. I think maintenance is so limiting. I think I think what happens when other places talk about maintenance, they're talking about taking you from 1,200 calories to 1,400 calories so that you're slightly less uncomfortable, right? Um, and their goal is to kind of keep you with maybe the progress that you've made without addressing the fact that you might not be there all the way there, right? So like, for instance, if you were to under eat in a deficit and your lowest calories were 1,200 and then you moved to 1,400, um, you might be able to keep that weight off that you for for a while I think eventually you would gain weight because your body's going to adjust to that and then any slight surplus is gonna gonna show up as, as fat storage. Um and, and that's one of the reasons why people get really frustrated with weight loss over time because they never actually push themselves back up to the normal calories. The simple fact and the answer to the question is is if you're in a calorie deficit, right? I understand that there are people that like to have two big meals. I'm one of those people, right? But if I'm in a surplus, I eat a third meal. It's not like rocket science, right? And we all want to believe that all these little tricks that, that all the guys on Reddit are doing, it's like if so many people are so successful at it, then why are there so many people failing doing it, right? And the reality is, is because they're taking what was a good idea and they're trying to make it into other ideas that are not so good. So when you're trying to gain muscle, you have to have calories. If you want to have calories, if you want protein synthesis, if you want more energy, you're going to have to have more calories and you're probably going to have to spread that out through the day. Can you do it? Can you figure out a way to, you know, I'm just telling you, no, no. Is there is there a scientific case for yes? Maybe, right? But the reality is, is that we're talking about on a scale of one to 100, if you're asking me who's going to have success the good majority of the time, I'm going to say that people doing what I'm saying rather than, you know, I took 420 on, on Reddit is telling you, right? Um, because, you know, most people that are having success with something, they, this is happening a lot with, with the weight loss medication I was talking about earlier. See, a lot of people, you know, that are talking about, oh, I've lost 65 pounds. It's like, I mean, I'm not disrespecting you or anything like this, but 
honestly, you could have lost 65 pounds. Like it, it, it seems reasonable to me that you had 65 pounds to lose. And there was a point in my life where I had 65 pounds to lose. I didn't walk around going, oh my God, it's a miracle. It's like, no, I ate, I ate less and did more, you know, at that time. And then the great majority of the time, I was feeding that energy. I, you know, I went from 127 pounds of lean mass to what is now 170 pounds of, of lean mass. And there was no secrets. There was there was no mystery about why it happened at any time. You know, and so um, and and like I said, you know, I spent a lot of time IFing. I still IF. You know, in fact, I'm headed home, and I'm going to be IFing on my way home. But I'm not. I'm not sitting there thinking to myself, oh, I'm magically building muscle because you just, you just really can't, you know, has somebody done it? You know, I would love to see the circumstances, but the reality is to put on any kind of real muscle over time, you're going to need energy, you're going to need consistent res resistant training, and you're going to need calories, and you're going to need calories in abundance. Um, and so that's the other thing too, you know, if we're, you know, we're once again having these discussions about hormone therapy, there's a lot of people that are advocates for IF, they have a book or, or something of this nature, or advocates for keto, but they're not telling you about the stuff that they're cooking up in their bathtub each day, each night, right? And, and that needs to be part of the story because, you know, if they're taking something you're not taking, you're not going to see the results that they, they have, right? But you're also, by the way, not at risk for the health concerns related to ingesting that kind of thing. Um, Keith is asking a question here. You did touch on the protein a bit, but I'll read you the question. Concept behind recomp and how and why it works or science behind protein absor absorption, the 25 to 30 gram thing? Yeah, so isn't that funny that, um, so he brought that up and, and you know, I, that that's well known, right? Um, is if you're trying to gain muscle, the best way to do it is to spread it out over time. Um, I'm not saying recomp is a pipe dream, right? Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that happens with recomp is that people, they're just scared, you know, to do what what is the right thing. Um, Sarah's been talking about it a lot, you know, um, in her posts because I think she's she's now like nine months out of fat loss and she's still talking about, you know, the 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 process of how she's you know doing it and and I believe it was one of her recent ones where she talked about her highest weight was one fifty five right now she's one forty three. Um, I don't know that she's going to go to 155, so so we haven't had that discussion. Um, but if she did, that would be the most correct way to recomp, right? Like the you know, you have to allow for a window of weight regain that is not just three to five pounds, right? So if we're really trying to gain muscle, which is part of what recomp is. You know, obviously everyone wants to have the thought process of, you know, I want to stay relatively weight stable. I want to gain muscle in that process. And I'm not saying you can't. 100% um, you can gradually gain muscle in that process. But what I think that is best for is for someone trying to mostly maintain where they're at, right? Um so if you're a 190-pound man and you're just trying to gain maybe five pounds of muscle over the course of two years, you can play it kind of safe, right, around 2,700 calories or whatever. Um, my recommendation for somebody in that situation would be to, to, to do better resistance training, make sure that you're doing slow and controlled reps, things of that nature, 
Um, but really push like the 195 to 200 and then do a proper fat loss cycle. Um, that to me um, is the best way to do it. What I think happens, you know, <laughs> once again, um, I think I actually talked about this on one or the other. I was watching this YouTube video of this physique competitor um, and he's just jacked out of his mind, you know, um, but like, like relatively smaller frame. I think he's probably 195 to, to 200 pounds. Um, but he's talking about how he maintains his muscle at 23 to 2,500. And I was just like, you're clearly leaving something out of the equation, though, right? Like, because as a man eating 2,300 to 2,500, you're not, you're not, you're not going to have the kind of muscle that that guy had, right? Um, and, but he was talking about building muscle and potentially gaining muscle at 2300 to 2500 and the only reason that i would think that he came up with that number is because he sells nutrition coaching right and so he's trying to convince people to buy his program so he's putting out this video of this is how i do it it's like once again i'm not saying you didn't do it that way but i'm saying you're leaving something out right and that something is usually you know, some steroid, you know, it, for people, you know, if you want to see the value of, of HRT, um, you know, I'm a great example. I'm, I'm not jacked out of my mind because I've been on, on TRT for, you know, I just look like a regular dude that probably works out pretty good. You, you don't get jacked out of your mind from that stuff. It just helps a deficiency that you have. Right. But, you know, for somebody to I think when people talk about recomp for guys, you know, they get stuck around twenty three hundred to twenty five hundred for women. They get stuck around fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred. If there's any one thing that we know beyond question is that fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred is a ticket to nowhere's land. Right. Um, that is the one thing. If you said to me, what is the big takeaway of each performance? That would be it, right? And I would say the great majority of women who aren't seeing progress are often at 1,500, 1,700, saying to themselves, I'm doing all the right things. You know, it's like, but are you, right? Um, you want to, when you get to a deficit, you want to be able to go lower, but you just, you know, there's just no math from 1,500, right? Like, even if you go to 1,200, it's a 300 calorie deficit. The minute you start to go under a thousand calories, you really start to open yourself up to, to really long-term metabolic damage, right? I'm not saying that if you, you know, if you ate a thousand calories one day, you know, that it would be that big of a deal. But, you know, if you're consistently eating 800 calories, you know, you're really opening yourself up for major, major damage. And like I said, you know, you're more susceptible to an eating disorder than what you would be without that. So um, I think real recomp, especially for a man, the guy's name was Keith, so I know he was a man, um, really has to be pushing 3,000, 3, you know, which means that you're probably gonna have to allow more than three to five pounds of weight gain. For a man, I would definitely suggest up to 15 pounds you know, if you're if you're 190, try and push 200. Use 200 as a ceiling, right? But what you don't want to do, what happens for a lot of times, for a lot of people, and and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, is you open yourself up to 200, and then all of a sudden, you know, you realize that you're 200 a lot quicker than you should be. I'm talking about going from let's say 185 to 200 over the course of a year, not two months, right? So there you go. Um, Brian's asking about motivation. Motivation and focus are always good topics. Struggling with that at the moment. Curious how many are like me where fat loss is easy-ish and AP and PR are difficult. Yeah, because you, you, you feel a need to be punished, right? Like if we're all being a little bit honest about this, when we're naughty, we get punished, 
right? And so we, we, we snuggle up to, you know, the deficit cycles and the struggle and the rigidity because anytime we color outside of the lines, we can kind of lose it, right? Um, this is about a lifelong struggle of when you slightly color out of the lines, you're able to kind of get things back to where it's manageable, right? And what I think happens is, is we're all suffering from this good and bad food stuff, right? Where, you know, these are the good things, these are the bad things. These are the good foods, these are the bad foods. These are the good exercises, these are the bad exercises. And we don't allow for enough freedom, right? That basically allows you to feel good about when you go a little bit over on calories on a day, right? Like, so as an example, um, you're coming out of fat loss, you're in AP and you're out with friends and one beer turns into four beers. You know, if you need to go home and have a coach slap you on the wrist, that's not even, you know, I, I think we, we just, I don't think we're getting beyond this. I really don't. I just think that all of the influencers, like there's nothing that Paul Nobles can say to you that will have an impact on you the way that the other 700 people in your social media stream, you know, um, are also communicating with you. And the majority of them are communicating uh pretty restrictive lifestyle, even though they talk about flexibility, right? Even they talk about, they kind of sound like eat the form, but then when you look at it, there was, there was a pretty well-known influencer who, I'll be honest with you, I think is doing more good than bad. But in the time that I've known him, he's probably been in a diet cycle, I want to say 25 times. And I've, I've been in a diet cycle in those 10 years, maybe three, you know. Um, so, like, you have to practice what you preach, right? And if you're telling people to be more flexible, right, and they've got the Big Mac, you know, on their profile and stuff like that, and then, you know, every other week you're on a diet, you know, or you have, like, getting back to Keith's question, you know, you have 160 pound dudes talking about how to build muscle. It's like, and don't get no disrespect to 160 pound dudes. You get to be whatever you want to be. I was 150 pounds at one point, you know, but I wasn't telling people how to put on stacks of muscle at that time because I wasn't right. Um, anybody that saw me knew that, you know, I was doing a lot to stay small, you know, and, you know, if, you're, you know, like I'm thinking of somebody specifically, you know, who are all, uh, who are all, by the way, people that I think are contributing positively to the concept of nutrition, like they understand the point of deficits and things of this nature, but they really, they really at their heart of heart believe that a deficit is the answer to most people's problems. They believe that the great majority of people are over-consuming. I, I think once you get, like, we we just finished up some um, uh, on space and Becky, what's our, what was the, strong daughters, right? So we just had a couple strong daughters graduate. Um, great job from those ladies. We, we had a, I want to say it was like 20 people, only two graduated, right? 24. Why is yeah, so 24, only two graduated. Well, why? Well, because when you're 22, you know what I mean? You Even when you're eating more, right, it, it's just, it's just going to be very difficult for you to want to have to understand that appreciation because you can keep things pretty reasonable by just being moderately active and you know, eating one burrito instead of two, right? Um, and so so when you're 22, when you're 20, 
you know, you're not going to be super motivated. But what was interesting is I looked at the two files, both of which were able to stay weight stable, which, of course, is not surprising to anyone. You know, what I, what I hate is like, you know, I think um, I can't remember the one gal's name, but she got up to 2,700 calories. And, you know, people will naturally go, well, of course she did, you know. She's 22. And it's like, that's such bullshit, right? Like, like she worked for that, you know? Um, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything that disqualifies someone that is 55 from eating similar and having similar workout routines. Do they probably need to do a little bit more than the 22-year-old? Probably, right? But the big advantage to the 22 is that you still have the hormones that the 55-year-old doesn't. So all the hormones are going to do is going to allow you to build muscle, um, but they're not necessarily going to, the calories could probably be the same, right? On a similar amount of work. The only difference would be is how the muscle expression would be. And so um, when I look at, you know, just all of this. Can you remind me what the 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 original question was, Carolyn? I, I kind of got off track there. You're um, muted, Carolyn. You're muted. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, um, we were. I just scrolled down to another one. No problem. Hang on one sec. I know where I went. Uh, motivation and focus are always good topics. Struggling with that yeah, at the got moment. It. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it's easier to stay motivated. Like I said, you know, whether, you know, you know, you can fight me on it if you want, but I just believe that, you know, a lot of us think we get motivated with the unnaughty messages. Right. And we have to retrain our brain that it's normal to eat a normal amount of food. Right. Um, in terms of motivation, I'd be lying to you if I said I'd never watch a motivation video or I'm not motivated by things and stuff like this. But anyone that's good at this embraces the routine. Like Sarah talking about the fact that you know, she got as high as 155. A lot of people like the the root of the question is basically that, you know, maybe getting to 155 is too far. And I would argue that it's the fact that we're all playing it too close to the best. That's what's harming us, right? Um, but the answer to the motivation question is super easy, is your routines are not in place. You don't have a motivation problem, you have a routine problem, right? I don't need to get motivated every day at two o'clock to go play pickleball. I love pickleball, right? Um, so you might be doing something you don't like, right? Um, right. Now, I will say this, um, when I do my body weight work, I don't love it. You know, but there are parts of it that I do love, you know. Um, you know, a lot of the time my wife is working in her office, and so I'm in the living room doing deficit push-ups. Um, and so, you know, I'll walk in front of the mirror that they have here and and just see the 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 visual of you know doing sluts and reps. Um, controlled, you know, where you're getting that stretch in your pecs and and you kind of look jacked, right? Um, to me, that is motivating, right? Um, even though I don't necessarily love, you know, doing, let's say, 100 deficit push-ups or 30, you know, strict pull-ups, right? And your numbers might be different. But I, what I will tell you is that if I did 20 um, deficit push-ups, I would see a visual result in the mirror, 
right? That's motivating, right? Um, but you have to rely on your routines more than your motivation. Mo motivation will fail you. Your routines will not fail you. You know, most of the people that are really good um, at their routines, um, that, that's where the comfort is, right? So like when you have a routine, now some people would say, well, that's a negative. You're relying on, you know, punishing yourself. It's not punishment if you mostly enjoy this or you're doing it because you know, right? It's, it's proactive, you know? Uh, motivation is reacting. You're reacting to this video that you saw that made you want to go to the gym. It's good to have motivation, right? But you won't be able to rely on that. You will be able to rely on your routines, right? And the one caveat I'll have to say to routines is simply that you, you can't expect a result. When I walk away from a hundred push-ups, the one thing that I know is that I'm going to look jacked. And the other thing that I know, in 15 minutes, I will not. Right? Now, if I were able to do it every single day, push past injury, all this other type of stuff. So you have to do these things without the expectation of immediate result. Right? Or does this allow me to eat more flexibly? I mean, I just got back from the doctor couple months ago and blew just amazing numbers on all my blood work, right? Yet, you know, nobody nobody goes in their files and go, oh, my blood work is amazing, right? I mean, it, it happens occasionally, but, but the majority of the time, no one tells them that stuff, right? That's amazing. That's what eating form is about, right? And um, I think the more we get, like, we're nobody's first diet and we're never going to be first diet and you want to know why i know that because we started this strong daughters program we gave 24 people we didn't just give them um they paid a hundred dollars in and they get 500 if they graduated and 22 people didn't graduate okay we're nobody's first diet nobody wants to be this for the first diet it's the it's the approach that you land on when you realize i'm done with all the other bullshit Right. And I'm proud of that. And I think that without Becky, without Carolyn, without, you know, the 50 or so other people that work, you know, with us, um, we aren't, you know, we aren't able to pull that off. Right. It's it's not an easy thing talking people off the ledge when they want to be punished or they want to undereat most of the time or they want to go to the gym to the, to the point where they get hurt. Right. Um, was there was there another question, or did we want to just save that for Saturday? Okay, so she's saying save it for Saturday. She's yeah, muted. sorry, I was muted again. <laughs> so we are going to do another one. This uh, so so you probably, if you attended, you're probably not going to go back and listen to it. But we're going to do another one with another set of four to five questions. So hopefully, that was all insightful. I like I said. We asked for questions and all we got were meaty questions. And so those are fun because I think what I just described in answering those questions is a reframing of how to look at all of this, right? And then get the, the best results. And oh, by the way, if you want to be the most optimal version of who you could possibly be, we have so many examples of that. I would argue that that Carolyn and Becky are great examples for that also. But you have to understand that there's a level of work that comes with that, right? And so, so you know, it, we all know, you know, the path to, to, you know, lots of money, looking good, you know, is work, right? And, and we're all making a little bit of a compromise to go, okay, you know, I, I I want to look good, but, you know, the reality is I can only kind of take about a half hour out of my day each day. I want to be a little bit more flexible. I probably like wine a little bit more than I should. Those are all reasonable things, right? Like I was saying that with HRT. 
just getting the information doesn't mean you have to act on the information. It just means you know it, right? And I would say most of them, you know, I mean, I would say most of you know, for Ethan Sam, sorry, I just lost, I lost my earphone. Um, but most of you that signed up for Eat to Perform likely signed up for Eat to Perform as a reaction, not proactively looking at things. Everything from this point forward, you can do proactively, right? Um, and so kind of keep that in mind as you're, you're trying to make these decisions. Just because you have the information doesn't necessarily mean that you need to act on it right now, you know? I mean, I'll end on this note. It's very common for people to join Eating Perform and find out they were under eating, right? And then, you know, we'll put them through maybe say a month, right? And they're like, well, can I do fat loss now? It's like, no, no you, you didn't heal your metabolism in a month, right? And, and when you start to have these discussions with people, you start to realize like, you're just in a hurry to be in a hurry, right? You're not in a hurry to get the right answer. You're in a hurry for like to kind of quiet the noise in your brain. If you really want to quiet the noise in your brain, you have to do it the right way, being taught by the people that know how to do it, right? And so everything you do, not, not just nutrition, not just working out, Everything you do, you'll be better. There was a there was a situation where I know I said the other would be last. This is the last. Where my daughter was looking at a rental property, which I'm really proud of her to want to look at this, right? And I said, we're going to go into this thing as if we're going to buy this property, 100%. I was like, but no matter what they offer us, no matter the deal, we're not taking it. I was like, because you have to be able to say no to the first thing, right? Too often, we're all consuming things as quickly as possible. We don't need to, right? And what I was trying to teach my daughter in that moment, and hopefully, you know, this message is coming across to all of you, is that if you can be a little bit more patient, what seems like the thing that you absolutely need is a want, right? And it's, I mean, think about how many times you bought something, a property, a car, whatever, and then you have buyer's remorse in like a week, right? And you go, if I would have just waited, I would have had that opportunity. How many times have you seen another house come available three months later and you go, oh, that's the one, right? And so I'm not saying you'll never have regrets, even if you make, but you'll almost never regret turning down the first thing that's just a reaction, right? And the more proactive you are, the more research you can do, the more understanding that you can have about how you work, it's a long-term approach, but it's better. And you're gonna find that you're gonna be better overall as a human being going down that path. So I appreciate everybody being here. And like I said, we're doing another one of these It's gonna have all new meaty questions um, on Saturday. So be on the lookout for that one also. Talk to everyone later. Bye now.